I'm Maggie Brereton. And I'm Nina Kerr. Welcome to Deal With It, our podcast series on business and deals. In this episode, we share a remote session we had with the MBA students of the MIT's Long School of Management. Thanks to Roberta and Varun for the invitation. And thank you for joining us. I'm very, very happy today that we have two amazing women with us in our midst. And they're also two very successful dealmakers who will be talking to us about pivoting, how to transition from a career, a large career, a career in a large corporate organization to your own enterprise. Welcome, Maggie. Welcome, Ina. We're very, very glad to have you both here today. And I'll just hand over to you to just give us an insight into what your journey and what your story has been so far. Good. Should I start then? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks for inviting us. And we want to keep this very interactive. So we're going to give you a little bit of a, an insight to our journey, but we'd love questions and then to ask you more specific thoughts around our transition and how did we move from a big corporate to having our own company. I've been doing deals for more than 20 years in several countries. I've moved many times, hence the languages. And uh, I'm a post-deal person. So what I do normally is that I help companies afterwards actually integrate into one another or separate, operationally separate a piece of the company that's being sold or being bought by somebody else. So I'm, I'm, I'm the one who stays in a company for a year, a year and a half long working with that client to actually make that happen and that you can contrast that with what Maggie introduces about her a little bit in a while which we which were very different and very complementary hence why we decided to work together. I've worked uh, at the big four for more than 20 years of my life mostly doing deals. I started in consulting so I did a couple of years generally in consulting and then very quickly I move into deals. And deals is a little bit like a, a bug, right? You kind of get addicted to it, the adrenaline of a deal, when we never got out of, of that anymore. And when we left, we had no plans. But we had six months of garden leave at home, so we had time to think what we were going to do. And our research started by actually talking to some of our competitors because when we finally left and could – have time to think because that's the first thing we realized we hadn't had time to think for a long long time because we were in the middle of you know working a lot doing deals deals are very intense projects and suddenly we had time to think and um and the first thing we realized is that we have been doing deals pretty much the same way for the last 20 years so we thought it was a good time to change things and shake things up and we came all excited and talked to some of our competitors we thought they were going to love the idea of actually shake shake things up and do it things differently. And we were very surprised when we spoke to a few of them, and that was not the case, because they all wanted us, obviously, because we've been in the market, we're very experienced in the market, but none of them wanted to change anything, because it was highly profitable as it was, and there was no desire to change. Hence, then, as an ultimatum to ourselves, we felt that if we actually wanted to change things, we had to do on our own and start our own company. Hence the birth of EOSD Advisory, which uh, just celebrated its first anniversary in October. So that's a little bit of a very short version of how we got there. And I'll let Meg introduce herself before we go any further. Okay, Tizina. Yeah, so I'm, I'm an in-deal person. So that's sort of 
um, doing all the due diligence, which is where I kind of started my career, but really helping getting the deal done and coordinating all of the work streams. So anything to do with the finance, the cost savings, the synergies, um, tax, environmental, everything. Because, you know, for me in a deal, everything needs to be brought together and be telling one story and ultimately go into a, a valuation and that supports or doesn't support the price and the, and the rationale uh, for the deal. So that's really where I focus. And Ina and I have known each other for a long time. We couldn't quite remember, but many, many years and have worked together for a long time and have believed in this joint working in respect of an awful lot of what I was seeing in the in-deal space was the theory. So the benchmarking for cost savings, the benchmarking for synergies, the um, tweaking of a spreadsheet to make those valuation KPIs actually work. And that's really frustrating. And it's really bad deal governance as well, because what would happen is that you would have all this deal work done in-deal, and then Ina would pick it up post-deal and pretty much have to start again. Because those plans just weren't realistic because they weren't being made by the people who've actually got the dirty hands of what it is to do an integration, of what it is to close down factories, what it is to, you know, completely change an operating model. It was done by people like me who are complete theorists, right? And I'm work in the theoretical world. And so we saw the real value of, of bringing ourselves together and bringing that insight into the in-deal. And not only that, but then also a bit more enabled by technology, because that was another thing that I found incredibly frustrating in the big four, is because there was no motivation there in terms of, of changing the way that we do stuff, of bringing technology in, because the old model was really based on uh, boots on the ground and hours charged. So again, that, that whole operating model uh, and business model of, of the big four doesn't work to enable change. So, so those were a couple of the other things that we wanted to bring into, into EOS and the way that we looked at doing those deals. I think finally the, the last change we wanted to bring was the culture one, right? We, we come from a culture in deals where we have spent our lives working ridiculous hours always and working every weekend and we thought this excessive hour and the culture of you know of the presenteeism not because we needed to work those hours but that's just the way it was uh, that was also something we could do differently and, and work smarter in a way using partially technology but partially a way a different way of working to change the culture because the, the effect of that culture of long, very long hours and presentations that many of the people that we came across through our careers, which were brilliant, lots of them left our industry because they just didn't fit their lifestyles or if they had kids or if they had anything in their lives that they could make it work. So they, that's another thing. That's another point uh, we planned to change and actually are changing as we go. Although I think our decision was quite quick that we wanted to start our company, that doesn't meant that we started our company right away. So that, that actually just meant that, okay, we think there is a market here for us. We studied the market. We, uh, we looked at which technology we would use. So we spent a lot of time thinking what we would change and how we would change it. And actually then I think for us the real turning point that pushed us to actually then start EOS was then speaking to clients. So we interviewed several clients or potential clients, which we felt were close enough that would give us a realistic view of what we were trying to do. 
and we went for conversations with them, lunches, dinners, coffees, where we tested, you know, would they buy us? What was the main problems in the market at the moment? If they could do things different, how they would do, get advisors to do different? What bothered them the most? Uh, would they be willing to change advisors? It was price, it was pricing a problem. And I mean, we, we asked them so many questions because we wanted to see, uh, actually what, how we would play that. And it was overwhelmingly positive from them. And I think that's actually what gave us the final push we needed to actually go and say, okay, we're going to start our own company and we're going to push this forward. And then after that, we spent a lot of time doing business plan and, you know, how actually we're going to do this. And then things start very quickly in the sense that we spoke to the Financial Times, which was interested in what we were doing next. And then very quickly, the Financial Times did an article on us. And that article, when actually we interviewed for that article, I'm not sure we were 100% ready <laughs> to start our company. We definitely weren't. <laughs> we definitely weren't. But that article had so much reverberation and had so much, even when we posted on LinkedIn in the morning, we went to, to the Financial Times to take pictures for that article. Megan and I decided to post a LinkedIn, to do a LinkedIn post to to tell people what we were going to do because we thought the people that knew us was better to find out from us first than in a newspaper. And we kind of did the post very early in the morning and then we went for the pictures. We didn't check it for a long time. And then when we checked, there was like 30,000, 40,000. I think we went to above 100,000 people that actually had looked at the post and we were like, we don't know 100,000 people. And then to the point that actually the FT considered uh, actually publishing the article earlier because they were afraid another newspaper were going to pick it up because there were so many likes and, and views on the post, which ended up not having because then it came Saturday and then the article came on, on Monday. And that article actually pushed us to actually get ready quicker. So on the 1st of October, although in the beginning of, middle of September, we're not completely ready, so were we in the 1st of October <laughs> to launch and then launch and now it has been a year. So that has been an interesting journey that went from a thought, it was very few months between the first thought and actually the execution of having an office and, and starting our first project. You mentioned how you left and when you left, you know, before that period, before you started your business, right, you weren't like 100% sure what the next steps were going to be. So I'm just curious if you could share with us, how did you manage that period of uncertainty? You know, how did that actually go? It was a good period. <laughs> I have the best memories. Because I think we worked so hard throughout our careers that actually having a break was a good thing. I think that gave us time to actually breathe you know, and think. And I would remember I would wake up, I came back to Denmark uh, because my family lives here. So I came back to Denmark full time. I remember coming and um, and taking my kids to school in the morning very early and then coming back and going to this really nice coffee place besides my house and just sitting there and just having coffee and just breathing, right? And just saying, oh, and that's where it was interesting. Then I would come home and those half an hour, an hour after I came home where my house was all quiet those are the most, the best ideas I had for our business. It wasn't that hour, you know, that I felt like then I felt inspired by it and I felt inspired by what we were doing. And then the, the, then I just had this idea, so we, we could do this like this and we could do it like that. So I think for me, it was, it was, it was, a, it was not uncertain in, this, in the sense that we were building this. 
to be honest with you, the biggest decision, the hardest decision, the one that we really feared and it took us years to take, it was quitting our job. That was the hard decision. When that decision was taken and that happened, the decision to actually start our company was a much easier decision to take than the one to quit our job. I think that the thing I'd add to that is that once we quit our jobs and, and had the time, is not only the time and the, just the damping down of all the activity, but the perspective that you get. Because you just couldn't have the perspective and the clarity that that, that brought you why we were still in our existing jobs. Because of the noise, because of the activity, but also because of your own situation. But for me, because I was in that job and it was very difficult to imagine anything else. And also what, we, what I was thinking about, I could feel, I was always very constrained. I'd never felt such a, a breadth of, of thinking that you could have once you were outside it. Because literally we had a blank page. And you're out of a bubble, right? You're in a bubble. Yeah, before, yeah. And when you're in a bubble, you don't see it. You only see when you're out of it. And that, that was, it. and talking to, and we spent a long time as well, you know, to help us build up the plan and, and think about what was the right thing to do. Like Ina said, we went and spoke to a lot of people, but a lot of different sorts of people. And that was the other thing, because again, being in the positions that we were in, we would speak to just the same people. It may be lots of different sorts of businesses in different industries, but fundamentally they were sort of either the M&A, CFOs, CEOs, of businesses, and, and you get a very set of perspectives from that. So when we went out, we just spoke to very, very different people, and, and that's what really helped. Because you describe it, Robbie, as uncertainty, but it wasn't uncertain, it was just freeing to go and really just think and explore. We were open to meet or discuss with anybody, and I think that was very rich because that always gave us an idea. Even the bad meetings were good meetings. They were, and highly amusing. You've talked a lot about, you know, driving change, right? And bringing a different way of doing to the traditional way things had always been. What was that like? What was that experience like? What were the challenges that, you know, you faced? And how have you been able to navigate? I think on the more positive side, I think one thing that surprised us is that the market did accept us as a challenger to the incumbents, which are companies which are much bigger than us. We will be doing the same deals that we were doing before, size-wise. You know, will the clients trust with the size of the deals that we've done through our careers? And the answer, surprisingly, was yes, because our first deal was a 17 billion carve-out. So that gives a lot of confidence that actually the clients were willing to accept challenges in the market and challengers in the market despite of the size or despite of, of, you know, of, of how many years they had existed as a company. So that was definitely one of the positive ones on the change. And I think the most positive one for me personally on the change is the change in ourselves. I think I'm such a better professional a year later than I was a year. The learning, I think first of all, there was no regrets, was not even when we had our worst days. I think there was any regrets uh, from us in terms of the decision we took, even when we had hard days, even the days we had to take hard decisions. Because I think as a professional, the amount that I have grown in a year, the amount I have learned in the year, it was more than I, le- I learned the last 20 years. I agree. If I looked at myself a year ago to what I am now, I wouldn't believe it. Wow. 
so we'll come back to that, but we have a question from Louis. So would you just um, unmute and ask your question? It's very important for us that we are, uh, most of us in the sabbatical year, trying to define our second stage in our professional career. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, the decision that was very critical in this uh, was the quit your job. So if you want to go back the moment of when you were taking that risk, because at the end it's a huge risk, yeah. what were your drivers, uh, how much protection in, in in finances do you have to take that risk? If you want to go deeply in, in the decision-taking process, and, and, and what were the drivers of, of it? And I was so certain of my decision when I finally took it, not throughout the two years, but when I finally took it, that I think that motivated, that pushed me for anything. You know, when your mindset is like, okay, now I'm done, I'm moving forward. And I remember calling Megan and said, Megan, that's it for me. I don't care what you do, but I'm done here. And from that moment on, it turned almost to a very positive thing because that was my mindset. It was a difficult decision. And we did have time to really think about the consequences. So it wasn't a heat of the moment thing. And that's proof. That's it. I'm off. I can't take it anymore. I think as Bobby helped, because like Ina said, and genuinely, I mean, and this year, everybody has been a top year and it's been you know, no exception for starting a new business. Having a global pandemic is not, not the ideal uh, thing to do in your first year. But even in the most difficult days, neither of us have had a sort of even nanosecond of regret. Varun has a question. I just want to ask you two things. I think one, given you had already built your network and your client base, how many of them are actually very able to convert in your new company? And second, given you already have a busy work life, how are you balancing your social life given it's not easy to start up your own enterprise? So two different questions, but then just, just to get your perspectives. So, yeah, I mean, our networks and clients that we've with for a really long time have been super supportive. And, I, gosh, you cannot underestimate that, not only, obviously, from a revenue point of view to actually build the business, but from that personal point of view that they believe in you. And it and some of the reactions we got from the market were very personal and about, you know, how much people believed in us and what, you know, decent deal doers we were. And so that was hugely important because, you know, it, it is quite a lonely place and quite an exposed place to start up your company. And yes, the publicity was great. But on the other hand, you're really out there. So having these people support you was just huge. So that, that, was, that was very good. I think I have more balance now than I did before. Because I think now I focus on the right things, on the thinking things. And to be fair, then there is, I think we spend a lot of our time in the big corporations on politics, internal politics and trying to influence people. And it's so internal looking, everything they do. So I think we spend so much time on that. And to be fair, I personally was not very good at it as a kid. So kept failing at it. While now I will spend that time either with my family or I spend trying to chase a new client or something much more constructive than that, you know, in turn, oh, this person said that, but they actually meant that. But, you know, that kind of conversation is over because between me and Megan, there is no politics. So that's, that's the time that I gain. So I feel more balanced and I'm more in charge of my life too because I, I, it's in my hands. Okay, when do I travel? Of course, everything now is kind of different, but at normal times, when do I travel, when I'm home, when I'm not, when when I spend the weekend in London because I need to be there. Whatever it is, it's in my control, in my own decision and not in somebody else's. 
Kim has a question. You both seem uh, very enthusiastic about your new life, but uh, without any doubt, there are also some uh, some drawbacks uh, or some disadvantages to, to the decision uh, you took. And, and, and I'm uh, I'm curious uh, if you can share one uh, one of these and, and what we take into consideration. Funding has been such a hard thing to get, and we think partially because we're women and partially because our age, not our 20s anymore. And, you know, all the VCs want to fund people which are in their 20s and probably male and white. Thanks. Um, Paul? When you first started this, you haven't, you know, like, what's your bottom line? Like, if it doesn't work out, how bad would you guys stop? Do you guys think about that before going in? Then we have to think about as a team, well, what does that mean for all of us in terms of what sort of temporary wage cut do we take to support the business? So even though it's like super tough and you do have to think about what is it going to take to survive, you know, where is our line, it brings other opportunities to be creative around how we do it and other opportunities to bring the team together that then sort of kind of all pull in the same direction to make sure that we do survive. When we had tough days and again, COVID stopped the deal market for a couple of months totally, pretty much. I think what we do is like we have this really bad days where we end up, you know, in the specific what we're going to do. But we wake up in the next morning. It's funny because both of us do that and say, okay, what are we going to do? We wake up with like action minded. Okay, which clients are we going to call? Which, what are we actually going to do? So we come out always, you know, we go down and we bring ourselves up every time. So we're very resilient to hard situations, which I think is quite key in this case. It just feels like time just flew by. This was such a great time. I know on behalf of the whole community, I want to say thank you to both of you for your openness, your willingness to share, your vulnerability, your storytelling. I'm sure everybody would agree that it's been a very impactful one hour, um, and we hope that we would, you know, make further connections. So this is not just the end. So the idea is that we we connect. Um, I know you're both on LinkedIn, and you know the community could actually reach out to you on LinkedIn and have for that conversation. So thank you so much for this session. We've had a really, really great time. And yeah, we look forward to more conversations.